In the year 2017, we in the United States were treated to a total solar eclipse where the sun was blocked 100% and darkness prevailed even in the middle of the morning. I don't know what it was like for you here in L.A., maybe not as much, but up in the north state where we were at at the time, I remember the temperature even dropping. It was a strange and somewhat eerie feeling. We all thought it to be pretty cool, however, um, and yet there was a, a day when ancient civilizations did not understand what was going on with a solar eclipse or the science behind it, and they saw darkness edging out the light as a bad omen. The ancient Greeks, for instance, believed that they had done something wrong and that the gods were upset with them. The Chinese believed that The uh, dragons were eating the sun. The Mayans thought that the earth would split and jaguars would emerge and eat most of the people. And of course, some believed that it was a sign of the apocalypse. Listen to this ancient Aztec 16th century description of a solar eclipse in particularly vivid terms. Quote, there were a tumult and disorder, and all were disquieted, unnerved, frightened. Then there was weeping. The common folk raised a cup, lifting their voices, making a great din, calling out, shrieking. People of light complexion were slain as sacrifices. Captives were killed. All offered their blood. They drew straws through the lobes of their ears, which had been pierced, and in all the temples there was the singing of fitting chants, there was an uproar, there were war cries, and it was thus said, if the eclipse of the sun is complete, it will be dark forever. The demons of darkness will come down and they will eat men. End quote. That's what they believed about a solar eclipse. Now the the point here is that in these situations, light is is most often considered good, and darkness is most often considered bad. Good and bad. Light is good in that it gives and sustains life. Darkness is bad as it's frightening. It's associated with evil, even death. The biblical account of light and darkness is not so different, figuratively speaking. This is something that we will see clearly in our text today, Jesus as the life and light who chases the darkness away. So last week, as Ian mentioned, well actually a couple of weeks ago, we kicked off our our new book of the Bible, the Gospel according to John. And as we did so, we set it up kind of like a courtroom trial because that's really what John does with this book. He puts before us the truth of Jesus as God, the forgiver of sins and giver of eternal life. And he calls then on his readers, you and I, to believe. In doing so, John, as defense attorney, he presents witnesses, he presents testimony and evidence, clearly demonstrating that the defendant Jesus is the divine Son of God, you then will make your own determination as to whether you will believe or not. But know this, as I mentioned previously, the conclusion that you come to will have monumental life or death 
consequences for you. And mind you, in looking at the the book like a trial, Jesus is, is not presented by John as possibly divine or Maybe he's the son of God and then you get to render a guilty or not guilty verdict. No, no, no. John is presenting truth. And you and I are merely asked whether or not we will believe and receive that truth. So last week you were presented the first uh, two verses of John's opening statement, also known as his prologue in those two verses you were introduced to jesus as the word the logos logos being intelligent words or speech resulting from reason or thought in reference to christ jesus he is god's ultimate self-disclosure the person of his own son jesus as the logos is a perfect term that encapsulates much of what Christians of John's day would have understood about Jesus. And furthermore, we learn that as the Logos, Jesus wasn't created by the Father, but rather he was alive and well and even with the Father at creation. In fact, like the Father and the Holy Spirit, he has always eternally existed. In addition, while they're with the Father And the Holy Spirit at creation, we also learned that all three of them were active participants in creation. And lastly, we learned that while Jesus, as the Logos, is his own person, he is also fully divine. He is indeed God. And of course, we understand that the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one God made up of three distinct persons, all Fully God. Now this morning, we uh, first will just take care of some unfinished business that we have with verse 3, which really should have gone with uh, verses 1 and 2 last week. We just kind of ran out of time. And then we will get into verses 4 to 8 and learn then this morning about the Word as the light and life. So if you're able, please go ahead and, and stand and turn Turn to the Gospel of John, right there at the beginning, chapter 1. We will go ahead and read verses 1 to 8. John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So first up here is the word as creator. Going back again to verse 3 where he said, All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. This phrase there, came into being, is actually just one Greek word, ginomai, and it means to begin with, as in to Come into existence. 
And yet the ESV, the NIV, and the King James all opt for just the simpler made. In other words, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And so here John is stressing the the word's role in creation, and he's doing so both positively and negatively. Positively in the whole of creation, in that the whole of creation was made through Christ Jesus. Negatively, that without Jesus, nothing, literally not even one thing that has been made would have been made. And we might ask, well, what what parts of creation were made by the word? And, and, And guess what the Greek means for all things? All things. That's it. No surprise. Everything, everything covered under those six days of creation. Which also reminds us again that if Jesus was creating all things, then he himself was not created. Like the Father and the Holy Spirit, he has again always eternally existed. This also affirms Jesus' deity as the scriptures teach that who is the creator but God God is the creator. And Jesus being God, again, affirms his deity. So let's, um, let's just, we'll look at some scriptures here that speak to God as being the creator. Starting with the Old Testament and, and using both the Hebrew Yahweh, which means Lord, and Elohim, which means God. The psalmist says in Psalm 102 verse 25, of old You founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. In Isaiah 40 and verse 28, the the, uh, prophet writes, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. When we get into the New Testament... Mark 13 and verse 19 has Jesus himself referred to as the beginning of the creation which God created. Now in the New Testament, we have this word theos, uh, which is the general Greek name for God, and then kurios for Lord. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, uh, John again himself writes, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. John writing down, of course, what he was seeing and hearing. And then last week we looked briefly at Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which then seem to speak of another creator. Here Paul is referring to Jesus when he says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him And for him, he is before all things. There's that eternal pre-existence again. And in him, in Christ Jesus, all things hold together. Not only is he the creator, he is the sustainer 
of all things. In Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 2 we read God in verse 1 and it connects in verse 2. In these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. So God made the world through the son. In Revelation 3 and verse 14, Jesus himself is instructing the Apostle John what to write to those seven churches of Asia Minor. And he says to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. And then he goes on to to say what he wants to say. But in other words, Jesus is now self-identifying as the beginning capital B, the beginning of the creation of God. And you might remember too that last week we had mentioned Genesis 1.26 where God refers to the plural us when he said, let us make man in our image, our being plural, according to our likeness. He refers to us again in Genesis 3.22 in the garden when he's dealing out consequences, 11 verse 7 Uh, concerning the Tower of Babel. And of course, in Genesis 1, verses 1 to 2, we read, In the beginning, God, that's Elohim, created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Ruah Elohim, the Spirit of God, was moving, hovering, fluttering over the surface of the waters. And when understood in the context of the other passages that we have read, then we see that us and our refer indeed to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if you're, if you're thinking, okay, well, I'm trying to keep this clear in my, my brain here, Pastor Jay. Uh, so just, just hold a sec. Who actually did the creating then? Was it Father? Was it Son? Was it Holy Spirit? And the answer is... Yes, that's right. Oh, you're, you do so good. Yes, all three. In the context of creation, all three are represented with Yahweh and Elohim, and all three are represented with Kyrios and Theos. John's emphasis, though, going back to chapter 1, his emphasis is on Jesus as the Word being creator. Of all things, because only, again, God is understood as being the creator. And John wanted his readers to understand that Jesus is God. All right, we've got that that taken care of. Let's move on to, uh, to our next heading here. The word as life. The word is life. We see this in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light. Of men. Life and light are not only thematic in, in John, but frankly, they are thematic to many world religions as well. But in conveying these themes, John is now imparting absolute truth about life and light and their relationship with Jesus as the Word. And so we, we could ask, well, how are we to understand Jesus having life in himself <coughs> and that life then being the light of others? We have to remember that that brief Greek grammar lesson that we had last week, okay? This is another one of those cases where the construction of that phrase, in him was 
life has the verb was as an imperfect, which we learned last week tells us that when we go back in time to this this moment of creation, there was already life in Jesus. Again, he was not created. He has always had that life and existence eternally. I know we keep harping on this because John keeps harping on this. He wants this to be very clear to us. Now look at some of the ways that John uses the word life in his, in his writings. If you skip over to John chapter 5 with me, John chapter 5, and beginning in verse 24, the Jews are already not happy with Jesus. In fact, they want to kill him. They want to kill him for making himself equal with God when he said in verse 17, my father is working until now and I myself am working. Because again, he's equating himself with being God. He then goes on to describe more of the relationship between he and the father until we get to verse 24 when he says this, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself let's pause there that that last verse there that sounds strangely familiar doesn't it with john 1 4 now remember too that jesus has the word and the word being god is again the self uh, divine self-expression god's revelation of himself through the son so Anything that Jesus is or has, like the life, God is also, God has also. Now what verse 26 is not saying is that the Father created or gave initial life to the Son. Rather, the context here is all about resurrection. It's all about eternal life and the fact that the Father has authorized the Son, to pass on or grant that eternal life to others. We pick up in verse 27. And he gave him authority, meaning the Father gave the Son authority, to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Uh, Yes, friends, he gave the Son authority to execute judgment as well. In verses 28 to 29, we kind of get a summary now of the text. Jesus says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Who are in the tombs? Dead people, right? Dead people. And they will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So again... The life being referred to here in, verse, uh, in John um, 5 is the life that brings about resurrection and eternal life. 
the authority of which is passed on from the Father to the Son, and whomever the Son wills, which we know will be those who believe in the Son. Turn to uh, 1 John chapter 1. We were, we were here last week, but it really warrants uh, coming back to it again. So right there at the back of your Bibles, just before uh, Revelation and Jude, you have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We want 1st John right there at the beginning, verses 1 to 3. 1st John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I, l- listen again here for the similarities with what John is writing and how he opens up this letter with how he begins his gospel of John. What was from the beginning, and let me just put in parentheses here to say that uh, uh, referring here not to eternity past, but to Jesus's earthly ministry and the preaching of the gospel, what was from that beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, yes, there again, right, in eternity past and was manifested to us referring to of course um, jesus's incarnation here jesus is referred to as the word of life which is to say eternal life and yes he brings the word of life through his gospel his good news some other key life passages would be John chapter 11, verse 25, where Lazarus has died. Jesus has gone to see Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the what? life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. Or John 14, 6, that classic passage where uh, upper room and Thomas said to Jesus in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Referring to again his resurrection life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So back in John chapter 1 verse 4, in our, in our text, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It, it, it might seem, at first glance, that resurrection unto eternal life is, is just absolutely what John is referring to here. But before we come to a conclusion, we want to understand now a little bit more of, of this light. And, and what does this mean, the light of men? So that's our, our third heading, the word as light. And just like life, light is also a major theme of John's. And in uh, Chapter 1, verse 4, the two go hand in hand. There, there is no distinction between the two. It's kind of like Romeo and Juliet, peanut butter and jelly, rhythm and blues, right? Life and light go together. They do so in this way. The context is at first creation, right? In him was life, going back to the creation account. Then John kind of fast forwards from the scene of creation to the scene of manifestation, and the life was the light of men. And then down in verse 14, we understand this because we read, and the word became 
flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus as the life, now a human being, becomes the light. So let's talk about light. I mean, of course, in a literal sense, light does what? It illuminates. It shines so that things can be clearly seen. Biblically speaking, light can refer to spiritual truth. The truth of God's word, the gospel. It can also refer to righteousness and holiness and purity. All of these culminating in godly knowledge, understanding, wisdom, which then enlightens the mind, soul, conscience. And of course, the opposite of light is dark or darkness. And in the scripture, darkness is associated with sin, with evil, judgment, spiritual death, the realm of Satan, even this world as far as it is under the domain of Satan. In Amos chapter 5 and verse 18, the prophet reports that the great and terrible day of the Lord will be darkness and not light. As Jesus hung on the cross with God pouring out his wrath upon him for those three hours, Matthew reports that in those three hours it was dark. There was darkness even in the middle of the day that fell upon the land. And so light is is best understood against the backdrop of darkness. And what makes a sunrise so glorious is not just the color, but that the light is piercing through the darkness, even chasing the darkness away. When I got my first apartment here in Los Angeles with my, my best buddy, uh, we didn't have a lot to spend, so it wasn't any you know, great shakes of an apartment. We were over in the Fairfax uh, district, and I remember, oh lordy, we would go out for the evening, and we'd come home to our apartment, and you could tell from our window if we had left a light on or not. And if we hadn't left a light on, oh, our hearts just kind of sank. And we'd say, okay, we didn't leave the light on, get ready. Each of us would take off a shoe. We would open the door, said, you ready? Ready. Turn on the light, and guess what? The floor was alive. Cockroaches running, trying to hide from the light. And of course, we got our shoe. Bam, 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 bam. But that's what happens, right? The cockroaches, those little buggers, they love the darkness. And they flee from the light. That's the truth. What are you going to do? I thought, do I want to tell that one? Yeah, it's a perfect illustration. Nasty things. Of course, I just lost my place. (laughs) Yeah, there we are. Of course, we're interested, though, in the word and the life as light. So back in John chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus is called the light of men. Anthropos, people, people. Then in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Huh. Jesus brings spiritual light and life, but darkness also signifies an inability for people to understand spiritual truth. 
Further down in in John 1 and verse 9, Jesus is described as the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. So every human being, friends, witnesses the spiritual truth of Jesus and the truth that he brings, but not every human being will comprehend it. Part of this is explained in John chapter 3, verse 19, when John writes, the light, meaning Jesus, has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. They love the darkness. We love the darkness. In John chapter 9 and verse 5, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. The implication being that the world is in darkness and needs light. In Luke 1 and verse 78, Zacharias, father to John the Baptist, prophetically declared that Jesus, the sunrise, the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It didn't happen this morning, I think, because of the grayness and and whatnot, but uh, oftentimes when I leave, for church uh, on a Sunday morning, it's somewhere in the 6, 6 a.m. range, and, and uh, oftentimes as I, um, over there in Lakeview Terrace, we'll get on the 210 just for a mile until I uh, get off at Sunland Boulevard, though, and it's, I see the most awesome sunrises. Oh, man, the sun is just, you know, starting to fill the sky and turn it this cool pink and orange kind of color as the sun keeps coming up and then I get to church here and I see a little bit more of it out here and it's just it just kind of lifts your heart it lifts your spirits even doesn't it as it just gets rid of the darkness in a most beautiful way in Luke chapter 2 and verse 32 Jesus is described as a light of revelation to the gentiles so in other words he is the revealer of spiritual truth to bring not just the jews out of darkness but the gentiles as well and along with jesus being the light john also writes in first john 1 and verse 5 that god is light and in him there is no darkness at all (coughs) okay so returning back to uh john chapter 1 In verse 4, and considering all of these passages that we have just read, what conclusions can we come to about Jesus as the life and light? At creation, Jesus had life in himself. He eternally existed. And then at his incarnation, Jesus as the life becomes the light, bringing spiritual truth and the gospel to a a dark, sin-cursed world. He illuminates the truth of both he and the Father before men, but the men do not comprehend it, the people do not comprehend it, or as we will see in verse 11, they do not receive it. In addition, the Father has given the Son the authority to grant his eternal life to those who would believe and receive. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 5 again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And and here we want to ask two questions. 
The first is what does it mean that Jesus as the light shines in the darkness, spiritually speaking? And, and one way is that we understand the light to be the gospel. The good news that Jesus has come to save wayward sinners from the consequences of their sins and to give us eternal life. And we call this special revelation. This is God revealing the gospel of his son through his word, the word of God and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, we are told, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven um, that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The context there is it's referring to Jesus. Jesus. We are saved by his name in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4, you probably know this passage. For I delivered to you, this is Paul writing, as of first importance what I, Paul, also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And in Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul then also says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so, friends, you and I, we are ultimately saved by the gospel. It is the only way you can be saved. But it's also true that people can reject the gospel. They cannot comprehend it. They cannot believe it or receive it. Now, there's another way that, that God's light shines in a dark world, and it's called general revelation, which is now God revealing himself through his creation. As Psalm ver, uh, chapter 19, verse 1 says, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanses declaring the work of his hands. This means when we, we, we look outside there and we see God's creation... God's creation is crying out as to who made it, him as the creator. And the fact that men have to suppress the truth in unrighteousness means that there is truth being revealed to them, as we see in Romans 1 and verse 19, where it reports that which is known about God is evident within them. That which is known about God is evident to all of us as human beings, as people, because of God's creation. In verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. In verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, what's interesting about general revelation is that it's not enough to save you, but it's enough to condemn you. You aren't saved because you believe that there is a creator God. Even the demons believe in God. You're saved because you have believed and trusted in the work of Christ Jesus on the cross. Christ crucified, 
and resurrected. Now the second question pertains to the last half of the verse, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Why? Why would the darkness not comprehend the light? And this is answered back in that John 3.19 passage where it says, Men loved the darkness. They loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. That is not just talking, friends, about the axe murderer. That is talking about any of us who have sinned, which is all of us, and fallen short of the glory of God. Before coming to faith in Christ, we loved the darkness rather than the light, and our deeds were evil. Now, this is all past tense here in John 3.19 because John is presenting Jesus as having come into the world at a particular point in time. And so his point of reference is looking back to that time when Jesus came into the world. The fact is, as this was true at the fall of mankind, it was equally true when John wrote his gospel. It has remained true until today, and it will continue to be true until Jesus returns. That is our sorry state. Men love their evil deeds. People love their evil deeds. But the fact is, Romans 1 tells us that the ungodly, the unrighteous, those who love their evil deeds, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They quash it, they hinder it, they restrain it, in short, they deny it. And to the point where they, they believe their own lies. And they worship the creature rather than the creator. Well, we, we need to move on here. We need to move on. Our fourth heading here is the word and the witness. John switches gears a bit. Back in verse 6, he says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. We keep seeing that word believe come up over and over, as we said at the beginning of all this. It's another tremendous theme of John's throughout this book. This man sent by God, it was all part of God's plan for John the Baptist to come on the scene. He is, of course, the cousin of Jesus, born miraculously to Zacharias and Elizabeth, of whom the angel Gabriel said, many will rejoice at his birth. And he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn the many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, meaning the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1 for a moment. Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist has been born. 
the people who knew Zacharias and Elizabeth are all wondering something. They are wondering this, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. And then we get to verses 68 and 75, and he's got this tremendous prophecy about the Messiah. We're going to hold off on that right now, as we're more interested in what he says about John the Baptist. So look to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 76. 76, where Zacharias continues his prophecy And he gets to his son, John, now born, saying this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And then Luke writes, and the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You see, the nation of Israel was not in a good place at that time. They are coming out of 400 years where God has been silent with them, just hands off with them. And if you you go back and, and consider the prophecies of the Messiah that we read about back in Isaiah, and you take that to that present time, you're talking about a 700 year waiting period. And in that time, the people had become dull and complacent, and sin was rampant. And the people, they needed to be prepared. They needed to be ready for their Messiah, because frankly, they weren't. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. And that was John's first job, to call them to repentance and baptism in preparation of the Messiah's arrival. Now, his second job was to act as a witness, And bear testimony as to who this Jesus is, namely that he is indeed the Messiah. You know, in a a trial, it would be strange to only have one witness, the defendant, because then you would only be able to rely on his word and his word alone. Rather, it is to the advantage of the defense to have multiple witnesses who will come and give testimony about the truth of a situation, or even if they were to be character witnesses, testifying as to what they know to be good and true about this particular person, this defendant. Sometimes it takes someone dying and and then at their funeral or their memorial service people will will stand up as witnesses and they will they will give testimony of all kinds of great and wonderful things about the person and their life and you think if if Jesus simply showed up at the river Jordan and announced himself to be the Messiah that that could be strange uh folks gather around please gather around I'm here to tell you that I am the Messiah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's Jesus, so obviously if God wanted to do it that way, he certainly could have, and it would have worked. 
But in this case, he decided to do it a little differently. He wanted to provide someone else. Someone else who who already was understood to be a prophet, making a declaration about Jesus in advance, kind kind of priming the pump, so to speak. I am a voice of one. Crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. And it is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Until finally the day comes. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen, and I have testified that this is the Son of God. So said John. John 1 and verse 8 says of John the Baptist, He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And as we often say, well, well, what, what do we do with these truths? What do we do with what we have learned? And I would remind you, friends, to not ever think that Jesus is some add-on to God's plan, God's program, but is indeed co-creator with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He is indeed God and has eternally existed with the Father and the Spirit because he is God. We need to know these truths. You need to know these truths. You need to be able to defend these truths because frankly, some of these truths right then that right there are are under fire out there in the world today with many groups not believing that Jesus is indeed God. Oh yeah, he's a prophet. Oh yeah, he was a he was a good guy. Oh, he was a great teacher. No, he is God incarnate. And friends, we, we, we recognize that we live in a dark world. It has been dark ever since sin came into the world. But Jesus is the life. And Jesus is the light that has come into the world. And remember that the light of God shines in two primary ways. There's that general revelation that everybody sees, that everybody has some knowledge of the fact that God is their creator, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They restrain it. They hold it down. They quelch it, quash it. But then there's also that special revelation that comes through his word right here, the pages of Holy Scripture, the gospel. And all people 
that have ever lived or will ever live are exposed to the first general revelation and are therefore without excuse. Now, every one of you in this worship center and even you on our live stream today have also been exposed to the second. You have been exposed to the gospel The good news of Jesus Christ, which has Jesus as the resurrection life with the authority to forgive sins and grant that life to those who would believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life, would not perish from their sins because the wages of sin is death and, 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 and death there is not just spiritual death, I mean, not just physical death, but it's spiritual death as well and that eternal separation and even punishment in hell and the lake of fire. You need to repent and believe, friends, if you are in that category of not yet having done so. If you are one that has not comprehended it, you have not received it, you have not believed in it, then today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that you need to cry out to the Lord, confess your sin before Him, repent, and put your your faith in the saving work of Christ and Christ alone. And thirdly, John the Baptist, remember that he was a witness, and he gave testimony of the truth of Jesus calling people to repentance and belief and I would say either believe him or be him be him out there in the world you and I need to take up that that calling of sharing Christ with people telling them who they are calling them to repentance and belief and testifying ourselves to the fact that Jesus is the word he is life and he is light. And, and then for, for you who have believed, yes, you are to carry on Jesus' work in that context. And by being the light of the world, you and I are to bear witness and to bear testimony to the truth of the gospel. And we are to call on people to repent and put their faith in Christ, telling them how they can have eternal life. And lastly, friends, oh, just simply allow these tremendous truths to just wash over you, sink deep into your your hearts and souls, which then will just elicit a, a response of praise and worship and thanksgiving before the Lord for who He is, all He has done as the Father, as the Son, as the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, just the time that we have had this morning to gather together as your people and to, Lord, worship you in spirit and in truth and by all the different means that this has been a part of this worship service, and not the least of which is your word, and help us to apply it to our lives, Lord. We pray this all in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.